I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. And this is the Obsessions Volume 2. You probably, probably sound a little bit different. How do I sound? You sound good, man. That's cool. This is awesome. So, um, if those of you who aren't familiar, we did the Obsessions uh, last time around. We reviewed one movie, and then each uh, had one album we were obsessed about. Mm-hmm. And that was Dr. Dre, 2001. I was Secret Machines, Now Here Is Nowhere. Yep. And so that was the theme that time around. This time, it's kind of backwards in a way because we're doing one album and then we're gonna do our top 10 movies of all time in our opinion of course so there's a big and it's you you were saying before the show that's kind of a liquid list right and yeah i don't think you can ever make a list like your top 10 greatest movies if you're a movie fan and have it not change at some point in the future um and i also think that we should make it pretty clear with our top 10 lists that the reason we, I thought, the reason I thought it would be a good idea to do this was that it gives everybody who's listening an idea of, you know, what kind of movies we love. Right. Um, when it comes to movies, your favorite ones often kind of dictate who you are and your sensibilities. So I thought it would be fun for me and you to kind of bounce off uh, our top ten movies of all time, so people kind of know, like, oh, okay, I see why he likes weird movies like The Witch because mm-hmm. <laughs> he likes these other movies. Well, I think for me too, it was like. I, I did this list of 10. I feel like I could do ten another list of 10 tomorrow or a week down the road, and it would be 10 totally different films. That's how I honestly feel about my list. Right, and especially the order of the movies, I think. While I think there's most of the movies on here would be the same movies from week to week, they would maybe change the order. I actually, even when I was writing them out by hand, I had arrows going everywhere because I would write number three, and then I would cross it out and be like, no, 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 that's not number three. That's number five. Possibly. Kind of well, that's how I did the top 10 movies of 2015. I'd have like this wonky chart that had all these arrows going up it was either up down or up and down okay and up meant like oh it might go up if i watched again up and down was like could go either way and down was like i didn't really like it so bump it if a film you think is like slightly better than that well that's the other thing when i was doing this list i was pretty sure that i would get home look at our movie shelf and realize oh my god how did i how did i miss miss this? this yeah so yeah i mean yeah, like you said, it's a liquid thing. It doesn't change. It's not, these aren't static. And of course, we'll probably see movies in the future that would potentially land on this list. Yeah. And you, I mean, you just mentioned off air too that, um, like the, the curious case of Benjamin Button, which is an, an amazing film. Um, but that's objectively, objectively, but that's, that's <laughs> one that I told, I didn't even think of that. I'm probably there, sure there's thousands of films that I've seen I didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the name of the game. That's the word, world we live in. Yeah, and I think we this episode maybe might be a little bit more messy than our normal 
Yeah, because we're we're testing out a lot of new stuff. Yeah, right new, now. Ge- new gear, our new mics are all set up, and uh, still working on getting my laptop hooked up to the mix too, so we can do some more interactive things there. And yeah, this is, normally we'd be plugged into the computer. This time we're hooked through a mixer. Yeah, it's just a, it's a brave new world. It is. It's I've never recorded anything like this before. Yeah, this is it's this fun. Is it wild. makes me feel weird with this giant microphone and this yeah, circle thing. It's kind of different. And when I first set this up and did it, I was kind of like, "This is really weird." Versus before, where you're like waning like this to you know get like make sure you're sitting enough. Hard. Now it's like right in your face. Yeah, now you can kind of lean back and move the mic towards you a little bit and just get comfy and cozy. Yeah, drink you, beer. Drink beer. What are you having? Because we have this time we don't have a beer oh. of the week. We yeah, we don't have, have a beer of the week, but we are drinking beer. I have a Happy Tail Cream Ale from uh, Bear Brew Bear Bones Brewery. Um, yeah, and it's a cream ale, so it's kind of bready. It's a, it's a little bit lighter. It's easier to drink. Uh, it's maybe got a little bit of the hops after flavor going in it, but uh, it's pretty tasty. It's lower in alcohol. Uh, by volume, but I like it, and we. I also brought for both of us after you have yours. I also brought us the side trip, uh, the new beer from New Belgium, which is a Belgian style pale ale. So nice. I brought those as well, but that's for later. What are you having? I'm having a uh, a Big Eye from Ballast Point. All right, which is their IP. I feel like, honest to God, this is the forgotten Ballast Point beer. What is? What's the style on it? Even? It's an IPA. It's their See? IPA. And I think of the Sculpin as their yeah, idea. Yeah, and that's the thing is everyone knows about Sculpin, but no, nobody knows about Big Eye, it doesn't seem like, which is a really good IPA. I absolutely love it. And then they also have Dorado, which is their double IPA, which is 10% ABV. It's a... There was another one I almost picked up um, the other day from Ballast Point. It was like Victory at Sea, I think. Oh, Peppermint. Uh, you have a bomber of that. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's like, I'm, I don't know what to pair that with. I see you haven't had that bomber of uh, no, the rogue I'm sriracha that. either. I actually just picked up in Madison. It's um, green chili wahoo. It's their um, wit wit beer. Wit beer. Wit beer. Okay. And uh, it's yeah, I guess it's really spicy. It's even spicier than uh, Ballast Point hab- uh, habanero apparently. Because yeah, the, that the the habanero sculpin was the spiciest beer I've ever had, but the sriracha one does come close to it. Um, but it's really good. It's I mean, it's a stout with that spiciness to it, which those those flavors complement themselves really well. It's similar to the um, Space Ghost from Central Waters, only it's not as high in alcohol content as that, so it's easier to drink. Mm-hmm. But and I think stouts lend themselves better to spicy. I think ha- habanero sculpin borders on being a little over the top, yeah. but it's a, a really really dynamic flavor. When you gave me the one. It took me like an hour and a half to drink it. Yeah, because I can't like. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's pretty high up there in alcohol, but it's. I mean, it's not so high that you couldn't drink it a little bit quicker. But yeah, it's just so every every swallow of it is just so almost not overwhelming because it's good, but it's mm-hmm. just so much flavor going on at once. Yeah, that you kind of can you can take it easy on it pretty easily. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of beer out there in the world to try. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a good good time to be alive. So again, this is the uh, the obsessions episode. And we didn't mention what album we're talking about. Why don't you cover that? Because this is your this is your recommendation. Well, I mean, when we get to the album, we are going to be yeah. This is my recommendation, and we'll talk about that too. But we are going to be talking about the Beatles and their legendary album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And you know, my birthday is tomorrow, so you gave me free free reign to free pick reign an to album, pick what, whatever and we you had wanted. I had expressed my shock previously that you had never listened to a full B 
Beatles album before. Cover to cover. Yes, so I figured this would be a good starting place because it's one of their most famous, if not their most famous albums, and it's one that I'm very familiar with and I enjoy a whole lot, and I hope you did too. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, regarded as uh, one of the best albums ever made, yes. which is a high high praise. That's It had a lot to live up to. Yes. I heard a lot about it, so... Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as high-priority uh, news items, the TV world's kind of just getting getting hot right now uh, with Game of Thrones coming up in the on the 18th. There's a lot of hype about that. Um, people are just typical. It's the same thing. It was the same thing with Star Wars and Batman vs. All that stuff. There's a lot of buzz. Not as much as Star Wars, but... Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah was... with, with this, though, there's a little bit more... The questions are flying around more because the book isn't out yet either, so nobody knows what what's going to be happening here. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been watching Game of Thrones again, too. I'm in season three. I have seen all of it up until season five, up to the end of it. Okay. Um, but I'm rewatching it. Uh, I probably won't get there in time, but I don't have HBO anyway, so I won't be, <laughs> I won't be able to watch it when it's on. Um, You'll just hear all this buzz. I'll, 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 I'll be able to watch them within a day or two of them being aired, but usually with Game of Thrones, I'll have like six or seven friends on Facebook who like to spell out the entire thing um which can be frustrating but uh non-spoiler free yeah yeah well i am excited though because i'm a big game of thrones fan and i think i've i'm liking it more my second watch watch through it as well i i don't know if i'm picking up more on it or if i'm just appreciating it more because there's just so much stuff going on in game of thrones that it can be a bit hard to take in Mm -hmm. so watching it again is awesome it's a good idea i think because there's a lot of and there's a lot of nuances too i feel like in terms of the, like, there's just, like you said, there's, what, 10, 12 storylines going on at a time yeah. that are somehow connected. Yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 I get a kick out of how vulgar the show can be sometimes. <laughs> like, there was one episode where it had a cold cut somewhere in the beginning of the episode, and the shot it cut to was just a horse pooping on the ground, and it was like a close-up of the floor and a bunch of horse turds just landing Plop, 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 and then the camera zoomed up to the horse, like, walking forward. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what is this? Like, I had to pause it because I was like, are you for real? Like, who thought about this? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't even remember that. I really it was don't. like a, it's like a two-second scene, and it's just like a random segue. But usually it, when there's a cut, it's like a sweeping shot or... Like a close up on somebody, and this it was just a big old pile of horse poop falling <laughs> on the ground. Oh my god! <laughs> no, yeah, they're they're really upfront too, and the the violence in there in the the TV show is kind of like that too. It's very in, it's not they don't hint at stuff. It's no. you're watching people die mm-hmm. very very violently. Yep. So yeah, and then of course uh, the Walking Dead. Yes, That's season six finale. finale. Big big moment, and without spoiling it, I can say that they can either go directly the way of the comics or not. That's where the, the season ended. I don't watch the show, but I know exactly what happened because, again, people on Facebook. Now, I, not that I care that much because I don't watch that show, but uh, a lot of people seem to did not like this last episode. I don't know if that was just like a moment in it or the whole, like I, I have no idea if the whole episode was disappointing or just elements of it. Because yeah. I just saw some people who were like, oh, that was terrible. But sometimes people say that if there's like a really dumb like cliffhanger or something. Mm-hmm. So, when I'm, For me, it's I'm getting kind of sick of the repetitive nature of the show. 
Like anytime a character goes off into a field or goes into a building, you're like, oh, well, that's it for them. Like it's just over and over. So I don't know. The ending was okay for me. It worked. Okay. Well, it's good. I hope people enjoy it. I mean, yeah. it was a big deal. It's a popular program. Program. <laughs> Another one. I'm actually really excited about Better Call Saul season two. I haven't seen the first season. I mean, I, I love Breaking Bad, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, I haven't watched that either. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the characters I they could have. I'm that weird guy though who watches shows way later. Like I'm watching Mad Men, right? Mm-hmm. You'd already <laughs> seen. You'd already seen Mad Men. I'd though. seen not all of it. Not all. I'd yeah. seen most of it, not all of it, and I wanted to start from the beginning because I'm that kind of weirdo too. Where if I go more than a couple months without watching a show, I need to start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like with Lost, which is my favorite show ever, I have watched the first four seasons of that show like 12 times in the last two maybe like three because i'll watch the first four and then i'll get busy doing other stuff in life and then i go back to watch it and i'm like what episode was i on i'll just start over yeah <laughs> well that's kind of yeah that's probably what i would have to do with mad men which i might i actually might rewatch that because i'm wrapping up sopranos yeah. not totally sold on sons of anarchy how far are you in it um i've got 16 episodes left of the whole show of the whole show we'll finish it no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, of Mad Men or Sopranos. Sons of Anarchy. No, Sons of Anarchy. I haven't even started yet. What I've the seen, hell? Like, you just one. said I'm not so sure about I'm it. I'm not so sure that I'm gonna start it. I'm, I'm it's gonna, good. Watch uh, it. I guess. If you don't watch it, I'm leaving. That's it. I'm taking my microphone with me. <laughs> just rip it off. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Not, not too horribly much going on in the world of entertainment. I mean, there's Netflix stuff. Daredevil was out recently. I don't, I haven't seen the new one yet. Kimmy uh, Schmidt. That's coming out soon. Uh, Bloodline season two, which ranch. I'm super, yeah, the ranch. The ranch. That's right. Is a sit. It's like a sitcom, which is kind of different. Mm-hmm. April said she watched some of it and it was pretty funny. Um, but I don't know much about it. But yeah, they're just. I mean, they have their own. I mean, they have enough programs now. Original. Programming both films and uh, TV, I mean, episode-wise, that they have their whole own page on their page where, you know, they have drama, comedy, and then they'll have Netflix original because mm-hmm. they just have so much material out. Which is really interesting. They've come a long way. Yeah, that's great. From, yeah. They're a powerhouse, dude. They are here to stay. Well, again, this is uh, Obsessions Volume 2. When we come back, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do our top 10 movies of all time right now asterisk right now after this song by the beatles by the beatles do we know what song yet do you know i I haven't decided yet okay i do do it after and you'll be hearing uh in the break the beatles sergeant peppers lonely hearts club band Mm -hmm. and you can get that's a long hashtag i took a picture for our instagram page when i do when i take pictures of vinyls i like to hashtag the name of the band and the, the the album name and this album name is significant yeah (laughs) so it's like super long it's like the most ridiculous hashtag that i guarantee nobody there's no way that's ever trended before sergeant pepper's only hearts come playing no way maybe well how maybe minimal what situation was there where everybody the whole twitterverse was talking about sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club maybe well when apple announced just the beatles just probably yeah hashtag abbey road is easier it's shorter short hashtag abbey road yeah. Hashtag, hashtag, let it be. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to start naming all of the Beatles albums. How many albums did they have in total? Or should we'll get to that? I think 14. I want to say 14. Why does that number sound right? 
Well, you'll research it. But again, their music's available on Apple Music. It is. Spotify. I actually don't know. I think they might, it might just be a deal with Apple Music, to be honest. Because it was, it was quite the big deal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's available on there. You can listen to their whole record anthology. They have 27 studio albums. Jesus. Uh, but that includes, we'll get into it. That includes kind of some weird stuff where they released different versions in the UK and the US. And technically they count as two different albums, but ultimately they aren't. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. Beatles stuff. Weekly Neurosis will be right back. Do a shot already? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll do mine during this. I'll sneak it in. We're, we're live, man. Do it live on air. Wait, you recorded <laughs> all this? Did you really? Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> no, welcome back to Weekly Neurosis, the Obsessions Volume 2 episode. And we're going to do this top 10 thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it like we did the top 10 movies of 2015. We'll do 10, 10. And how we do our box nine, office. 9, 9. Or yeah. we switch off. Yep. Except we'll, well do I like guess we won't 10 both do five and ten. That would be bad, really annoying. That was, a, we... <laughs> that was a bad comparison. <laughs> and the fifth movie, number five movie, was what was it this week? I Don't we'll sh- get to spoiler. that. Okay. So who's gonna start? You go. Because I figured we say the movie, give a quick little deal as to why, you know, it's in our top ten, and then we'll go from there. And then you can say I'm full of shit or. You know, spot on, mate. Incorrect. Okay, so, okay, well, I'll Go jump ahead. in here. All right, so Run my number more. 10, then, is Pulp Fiction. Okay. Tarantino, his, you know, his breakout movie for all intent and purposes. Uh, it's a movie that when I first saw it, I was very young. I was probably much too young, to be honest, to watch it. I didn't understand it. I had never seen anything that was um, nonlinear before, so it sort of confused me when certain characters would die and then they would be in a scene later in the movie. But of course, when I saw it when I was older, it kind of blew my mind. And it's just, I put it on my top 10 because it's a movie that is so like perfectly made and executed and just flat out entertaining that it kind of was one of the first movies I saw that made me think like movies, even though the movie, it's called Pulp Fiction. This movie has no subtext, no really thematic value to it. It's a lot of violence and drugs. Um... Well, I think maybe that's not entirely correct. You could probably dig some meaning out of it. Ultimately, it's exactly what the title suggests. It's Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just wild entertainment. And f- for that, I, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies just because it's so entertaining. And it's ju- you can just totally get lost in it. Yeah, and they, they intertwine those stories together really well. There's a whole, like, they have all these, you know, Bruce Willis's character. And, you know, you have all the other ones co- kind of coming together in the end. But... 
Yeah, it's a, it's a mess that comes together very cleanly. Yeah, and it's one of those things where the the first couple times I saw it, I I thought to myself like, what was the point of that? Like, yeah, all these stories come together, but what is this movie necessarily trying to say? But the opening of the movie really says it. This is pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. It's pulp. It's it's just meant to be fun and entertaining. Yeah, and that's really what I get out of it. And of course, it was groundbreaking in its structure and its dialogue and everything too. And that's got to be paid attention to. That's why it's on the wall in this room. Holy crap, it is. Not in my top ten, though. That's the thing. And now I didn't even, again, another movie I didn't think of. Total change of pace. Uh, My number ten is Toy Story 3. Whoa. The third one. The third one. The reason being is that I think that this is the film that I, we had a couple freebies that we just had to throw in there. For me, Toy Story 3, I hated animated films. Like, Wait a minute. Let me let me pause you there. Why did why did we have freebies? What do you we mean? We didn't. It wasn't freebies. It was like we have some that are just givens. Like we have to have a, them oh, in our top ten. Okay, I not got freebies. You. I thought you meant like oh the last couple on this list are a joke because I just, just needed to yeah, fill it out. I just need to <laughs> fill it. Out. No, I had a, okay. I think twenty some that I rated in total. But um, yeah, this is this is one that made me enjoy animated film, and I thought that they did such a good job. They, in my opinion, kind of tight roped. <laughs> the adult genre and then also the kid genre it's kind of this perfect mesh there's a lot of these very adult things they deal with the death in the in the end of the scene yeah. end of the movie they do with a lot of like you know moving on growing up a lot of that and i, I struggled if i was going to put this one on there or um inside out i had to go with this one because i felt that it just was a little bit more had a little bit more depth to it oh, i agree and it's my favorite of the three toy story movies mm-hmm. um by far yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy it as well. And like you said, it's got all those adult themes in it. And one of the things Pixar does most of the time, not all the time, so well is having that humor there for everybody. But and, and, and in this movie's case, really having a lot more to say as well. So, yeah, I agree. Awesome pick. Yeah. Okay, so my number nine, then, is a movie called Eight and a Half, which is an Italian uh, film that I believe came out in the early to mid-60s, and it's done by a director named Federico Fellini. And the reason I love this movie so much, and uh, maybe this is one people don't know as much because it is uh, older, um, and it's certainly more of an art art house-type film, but uh, the reason I love this movie so much is because it was... It's an art... I mean, it's one of the first art movies I saw that, to me, made sense that it was artistic. Because sometimes... Before I saw this, I felt like a lot of the art movies I saw were just weird and kind of surreal for the sake of being weird and surreal. But this movie, all of the strange elements made sense, and it really tells this amazing story about this struggling artist. And if you look into the history of the making of this movie, it's insane. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but the, 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 the way this movie came to be was Fellini was between movies, and he didn't know what to do for his next movie. He, like hmm. He was kind of stumped. And that's what this movie is about. This movie is about a director who doesn't know what to do next. So there's so much kind of hyper-realism mixed with these crazy dream sequences. And it tells this story about this guy who's really struggling to to make sense of his life and how all these uh, relationships with women in his life have impacted who he is and what he's going to do and all the pressures of the people around him and having all this money to deal with from the studio. It's really remarkable. It's a, it's a, to me, it's a, it's a huge feat of filmmaking and it's one while it's maybe not as watchable as something like Pulp Fiction. It's something that I put it above Pulp Fiction because to me it was the first time I saw an art movie where I could kind of look at movies like this and and say to myself, wow, movies can be 
so much more. Right. Uh, so I've always really loved it since I saw it. I've, I've not seen that film. I'll have to check that out. It does sound amazing. It's really great. I actually have a Criterion Blu-ray of it as well. I, I like his other work. Fellini, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. Awesome. For my number nine, I had Lord of the Rings, and I'm going to go with the series on this one. Because okay. I, too, struggled with um, which one to pick. Because mm-hmm. they all kind of flow together. And, sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, this... I just think the art behind this film, the dedication behind this film, and then how they delivered it uh, from start to finish. I mean, these are monstrously long films, and I don't think for a second I'm ever bored No. while watching any of it. I've, we've done basically 24-hour marathons. Yes. And while I did almost fall asleep because I, my body was telling me to do so, I still was really interested. And it's just so entertaining. They throw stuff at you that's crazy and out there. The, the evil characters are just diabolically evil. The good characters you're always rooting for. You could write multiple PhD you know, theses on this, a number of themes within this, you know? Yeah. So I don't want to talk too much about it because I agree with you. Yeah. Maybe for a reason. Maybe. Yeah, Lord Maybe. of the Rings is a, is amazing. Um, so before I go into that, spoiler, uh, my number my number eight movie is that what we're doing now? Yeah. I'm going back and forth. So my number eight then is Woodstock, which is a documentary about the legendary performance of Woodstock. Um, and it's by far my favorite documentary um, for a number of reasons. I love. First and foremost, I love the music in it, the bands, all that stuff is fantastic and timeless. But what it, what it does so well and just so smoothly is capturing the spirit of the people of the time period. It's very carefree, love oriented group of people that was sort of a it's it's it serves it serves as a snapshot of American culture in a time period that's long in the past. I mean, that's almost coming up on fifty years ago when Woodstock happened in nineteen sixty nine. And um, it's just incredible. It's like four or five hours long to watch, but you get the performances from the different bands. You get the Who, Jefferson Airplane, uh, uh, Arlo Guthrie, um, Janis Joplin. I mean, everybody is in it. My favorite is Santana. There we go. performance. An amazing performance as well. They're all fantastic. And uh, what's more fantastic than even, like I said, even than the music is what happens between the music when you're going into the crowd and there was half a million people at this thing almost. So you get a glimpse into what these people were like um, and and how they were feeling and thinking. And you can think it's trite or you can think it's petty or you can think, you know, I wish I was there. Regardless of how you feel or judge these kind of people, it captures what it was all about. And to me, it's one I have to watch once a year because it's just so much fun to watch and it just makes me feel good. Yeah. I like it. my favorite part is obviously the performances are cool, but I love the ground interviews and the ground, mm-hmm. how they shot the ground crowd too, because you actually see people's faces. That's oh, yeah. that's a big part of it. And they interview a lot. And they interview just a random ton people. Of people. My favorite is the girl from um, she's like from somewhere out east or whatever, but she's like working at the medic tent. Or is she the one who's totally sober? Yeah, and, and she talks about how she helps all the people who are strung out. Yeah, and she's just like, "Yep, this is my this is what I'm doing. This I'm just helping these people out. Some of pe- some people need help." That's I remember she says that. Yeah, and oh, just great. That's a great one. Oh, it's amazing. I, I I've watched it so many times, and I I just don't get sick of it because it, it's such a monumental event in American history, and the yeah. fact that it's uh, documented so thoroughly is incredible. It's really a gift, and. 
we didn't even talk about the the style of it, how it's put together, how it's edited, multi frames a lot, especially a lot of the performances. Mm-hmm. That was really mind blowing at the time. Nobody had ever really done anything like that before. So yeah, that's pretty cool as well. Cool. So we're on number eight, right? Yes. So my number eight is Forrest Gump. Oh no. I I love this film. I think it's a period piece in terms yeah. of mm-hmm. you know capturing this. Very eruptuous time in, in American history. I get that it's very... It captures a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, pretty, as well, it's a huge scope. Mm-hmm. It takes um, place over like 30, 40 years. Yeah. And I think, to me, it's really kind of like corny in a lot of ways. And But I think they do that kind of intentionally. Right. You know, so I, I just... I have to. I, this is one of my the films I have to watch every year. Right. Usually, that's po- it's popular. I do not like that movie at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I it's okay. I shouldn't say that. I like it. I, I think it's entertaining, but I just think it's for me. It's too sentimental. It's a little bit too on point. And while I think it's it's, I, I do think it's entertaining. It's a fun movie to watch. It's one that kind of grates on me. It's like so embedded in our culture now, like the mm. quotes and everything that it just kind of irritates me a little bit. But it's. I mean, it is by all means a great movie. It absolutely is. It's just for me, I, I kind of wears me down a bit. Yeah, and I've kind of had to separate myself from the like life is like a box of chocolates. I if right. honestly, if I ever heard that in public, I, I would go nuts because I, <laughs> I can't. To me, it's like I don't know. Just come well, up with another quote. Yeah, and I have you ever read the book? It's based on no. Because what's always blown my mind about the movie, like the movie, the book looks really short. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty long movie, if I remember. Yeah. I was just wondering, okay. But, okay, I didn't mean to step on your number eight. I get it. I just don't care. No, and and that's the thing. I know this is honest. It's probably going to produce a lot of haters. It won movie of of the year. Yeah. It beat Pulp Fiction. Ooh. And The Shawshank Redemption. And and like I said, this is a liquid list. If I wake up, when I wake up tomorrow, I guarantee you I'm going to be like, why the fuck didn't I put, like, you know, why didn't I have. No, no, no. No, don't let me influence you, man. Okay. Don't let me influence you. If it speaks to you, it does. And it does to a lot of people. Okay, so number seven. Uh, my number seven then is The Big Lebowski. Oh, word. Um, a movie that I know front to back, inside out, every quote. I mean, I'll, I like almost literally every quote of this movie. I think I could like talk along with it. Um, for a while, it, this is a movie that the first time you see it, you always everybody has somebody in their life who is like, The Big Lebowski is the greatest movie ever. And they can, they're listing all these quotes off and you're like, what the hell? And the first time I saw this movie, I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't, like, that's that movie people say is so amazing. But I watched it again and then again and again. And then I bought it. And I've, I, 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 I don't know what it is about this movie. It's, it's hard for, it's, it's hilarious. I think it's like all Cullen Brothers movies. Uh, it is stunningly, there, there's a stunning amount of subtext in this movie um, but really, it's just really hilarious. The characters are fantastic. The dude, Walter, Donnie, Jesus, all these characters in this movie are totally ridiculous and totally fun to watch. Yeah. Um, it's super vulgar, which may be trying for some people, but it's, I mean, it's its very full of curse words. But this is just one that I have watched. I, I watch this movie, not even exaggerating, four, five, six times a year. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. Yeah. I think it's just so entertaining and it's so well made. It's just a, an oddball little movie. Yeah, and I, I totally support you putting that where it is, you know, because it's, yeah, like, I think the Coen brothers, and, and I'll cover this later in another film of theirs, is they're really good at, like, capturing a certain 
genre or time period or anything and then just making it as comedic in a, usually a dark sense as possible but right my favorite part of the that whole movie is the narrator mm-hmm. i just love is he's know. credited as the stranger and yeah. it's done by uh sam elliott yeah love that oh yeah fantastic my number seven was star wars the original I went originally with the original, but there's I have I, I hate and love this the series. I, I I mean I shouldn't say I hate. That's kind of a strong word, but um, the original because I when I first saw this it was like so it's the movie that George Lucas wants you to think is Episode Four, A New Hope. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> when I first saw that, I was so when I was a kid, I was like tiny. I was just blown away. Like, mm-hmm. wow, whoa, this is this is different from what I, any... And it's my little tiny brain, which barely functioned at that time. You know, it, it was just different to me, and it, it still stands out to me today. And I think the series in total would probably get this same rank for me in, in terms of the, the continuum. Um, all seven films. All seven films. Prequels included. Prequels included. I, I'm a prequel defender, I'll be honest. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's got a good spot in mind. Yeah, and while Star Wars didn't make my list, I'm kind of falling through the Star Wars rabbit hole right now. Because like you, I grew up with these movies. I, yeah. I I don't even know the first time I saw Star Wars or which one I even saw originally because they've just always been movies I've watched. And I could credit them with being some of the movies that got me into movies. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, awesome. But the first, the the first one is well, not the, again, not the first. This is confusing. You have to say the first or the fourth. Well, it is the first one. But yeah, the first one that came out nineteen seventy seven, right? It it's so it was so different from anything that had been put out to that point, and it's so well done. It's a story that's super relatable in terms of this nobody, you know, kind of coming out of you know nowhere and becoming this hero. Yeah, it's sort of like the ultimate good versus evil story, like totally black and white. Yep. And, and, yeah, Luke Skywalker is, like, the perfect conduit, especially for a young person to watch and just totally be on board with. Mm-hmm. And that's a, what I've been watching a lot of these movies lately, so one thing I can I, I will add is that, yeah, every time you watch Star Wars, even if you've seen it 500 times, you always find something different in it. Yep. And that's great. That's why we watch. Absolutely. All right, so my number six, then, ties into yours, which is Lord of the Rings. So number six is my Lord of the Rings, and like you, I had to cheat, and I had to pick all three movies and put them into one group, because picking one of them is impossible for me, Um, but I mean, you nailed it. Just everything from the technical qualities, the production elements, the music, the acting, the special effects, which were revolutionary, um, to the thematic elements, which are, they're universal, and they're powerful, and, and all of the elements come together to make these super emotional Super, just incredible movies that I rewatch every year at least once. Um, I like to sit and watch all three of them, uh, especially the extended cuts. They're the ones I like to watch. Um, you usually need a good chunk of day, as you know, to watch all. And if you watch the extended <laughs> like cut, like from like nine in the morning till two in the morning. Well, that's if you, yeah, yeah. It's more like twelve hours if you just watch Lord of the Rings. But if you choose to watch the extended versions of The Hobbit as well, then you're you're talking almost twenty four hours. But uh, um, yeah, Lord of the Rings, amazing movies. I mean, they're some of my most watched movies ever, and they're just you can just like Star Wars, you can get lost in these in these in this whole different world. Um, but the reason I think I give Lord of the Rings the edge for me personally over Star Wars is that they're just to me they're a little bit more true to themselves all the way through. 
And I think maybe there's a little bit more subtext and thematic depth to them than there is in Star Wars. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's just for me. Yeah. And my number six is Schindler's List. All right. Getting, ha- is, getting happy with Schindler's yeah, List. Yeah, <laughs> not really. But, yeah, it's so, this is a good example of, like, a, a super powerful story combined with really good acting performances. And it's the, the feel. Of the, this film has a feel. It's not a happy one. We'll, we'll be real up front. But it, it's just so well done. And it's it's a story not it, when you think about the Holocaust, which you know it's I think that's the first time we're mentioning that on this show. Oh <laughs> right. Now, welcome hopefully to it's the, the last. <laughs> welcome to the next step in our <laughs> Right. Now that now we got the good audio equipment. Now no, but like there you can either directly approach it or you can kind of tell the stories that went alongside it. And there's there's a lot of movies that go along kind of with the along the side it realm. I think this is the best of them in the sense that you don't see the holocaust like in the way that you know the reality of it you're kind of stepped back from it and in this factory and but just a really powerful film that i as first time i ever saw this it just stuck with me yeah and you know i've never really thought about it that way well because the movie is incredibly difficult to watch and i agree with you and this is an incredible Mm -hmm. incredible incredible movie um I've never, you really said something there that struck me. I've never really thought about the movie as being kind of a macro look at it because it is hard to watch it. It is violent. And in a way it does put you there, but the scope is so large in it that instead of, yeah, like a lot of these movies, Holocaust films in particular will um, give you the perspective of one character. And I think Schindler's List does a good job of showing you a lot of characters and how this impacts all of them kind of with the focus of the one character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd never really thought about it that way because it is, I mean, it's one that I, I, I have a hard time watching over and over again because it's, you know, it's pretty... It's in, tough. It's, it's tough, tough to watch. But it's an important movie. Yeah. And I, and I feel like um, I haven't seen it yet, but Son of Saul is kind of on the uh. same path as this. I know that's a little bit more of a direct look at it, mm-hmm. but the um, I listened to an interview with the director of that film and he said that he's one that I kind of thought about that first where you can either look at directly at the Holocaust but you can kind of take this step back from it, and what are the the ancillary stories that occurred? Right. Um, but yeah, that was my number six. Awesome, excellent. Okay, well, my number five is Alien, the original. I think nineteen seventy nine movie uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big horror fan, as you know, and this this and one other movie in particular were the movies that, uh, in terms of horror kind of lit the fuse. I, I mean, this movie, I'll never forget the first time I saw this movie. I don't remember what age I was necessarily, but I remember the situation. I was in my parents' basement. I was younger. I wasn't like a, like, a, I was in it. I think I was a teenager. And I remember I randomly picked it. And I I was aware of the movie, but I watched it on Stars or one of those movie channels, so it wasn't edited and there were no commercials or anything. And uh, I was so gripped and like terrified by this movie that I instantly fell in love with it. And I've seen it so many times in the whole series. I really enjoy. And it's just so, I I think comparing it to star Wars, it is a world like the movie creates a world that feels so lived in and so genuine that everything that goes on in that world feels slightly heightened because of it. And this, unlike star Wars is incredibly dark, incredibly scary and violent. Um, and that's one of the things that I think helped me get into horror movies was that 
kind of edge this movie has because while it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's incredibly well made, it's really scary and it gets to some things and if you dig into the movie a little bit, there's a lot of symbolism in it um, that talks about uh, humanity and, and violent, uh, you know, the violent nature of humanity and some of the different, the way it symbolizes those certain things is sort of brilliant in a lot of ways and it has things to say about motherhood, I think, um, things to say about, it's, I'm just saying that because it's a movie that has a lot of layers to it, but can also be enjoyed as a horror thriller survival type right. movie. And that was always my impression of it was a lot, it was a lot more deep than a lot of people want to look at it. You know, it, it has, like you said, a lot of different themes in it. But you said, that's something that strikes me that what you just said about, I think horror fans in general, you're almost born a horror fan because you're, when you see a film and you're terrified by it, you're almost more drawn into it. Mm -hmm. And you're more interested, it increases your interest versus running away from it and, and not wanting to feel that way. Horror fans like you and I, I think you and I are both, you're more so than I am, but that you want to feel that way. Right, and... Yeah, I mean, again, the when I saw this movie, it just it, there there was a couple of scenes in particular that the first time I saw it, my reaction to it must have just been. I wish I would have had video of myself watching these movies because or this movie because it was so, it was such an intense experience, and it's a movie that when you watch it, just the details and the sets and the performances, there's so much going on that it's just it's fantastic, and it's kind of become a template for these type of horror survival movies as well. Um, so I, I think it's an important movie in a lot of ways, and it's one that I just love. It got me helped get me started with horror movies, um, and just movies and, and sci-fi because I mean it works just as well as a sci-fi movie as well. Yeah, awesome. So that's my number four, five. Are you okay? I'm Sorry. good. I know the order. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my number five was Gladiator. Oh, another Ridley Scott movie. Another, Look at that. yeah, and. Um, I think this has, without question, my favorite battle scene of all time, the Battle of Germania, okay. which I think is a... Is that the opening that's scene? A, yeah. And okay. That's an, a wonderfully shot battle scene. Love it. Uh, it's also got one of my favorite action heroes. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, not it's like the top five revenge stories in terms of film. But it's so... They, you feel like you're in that world with him in a lot of ways because they, yeah. they, they take... If you look at previous gladiator films it's always shot from a distance and you know you always see these guys fighting you don't they don't take you into these you know burrows of the stadium and uh walk you out and you know you're at the ground level with him and you feel like you're kind of there pushing him forward like come on you can you know do this and i remember when this movie came out for some reason i i hated russell crowe i was like 10 when this movie came. i mean i was a kid when this movie came mm -hmm. out. i wasn't that young but I yeah I I mean this is a movie that I have grown to absolutely love yeah and it was I remember it was a big deal when it came out because it was like you said it was so violent mm -hmm. and we had never seen the, these gladiator stories told from this perspective before and I think what Ridley Scott did was he kind of realized the actual like violence of gladiators because when you actually think about it it's two men trying to kill each other you know it's the core of like just barbaric. You know, people say boxing is a barbaric sport, but in the reality, this is like 20,000 times worse than that. You know, you give one guy a spear and one guy a club and say, hey, go at it. And whoever lives, you get the paycheck and you get to do it. It's just, it's a crazy world. But he really, obviously it's not like authentic, you know, it's not a real look at what it's like, but I feel like it's the cinematic version of it. And it's a beautiful film too. 
It is, and I think like Alien, it's a kind of movie that has a lot of sub subtext to it, but also has a lot to say as well. And, mm-hmm. and Gladiator did win Best Picture of the Year the year it came out. Uh, I mean, it's a very popular movie, and I think Ridley Scott has proven himself for the most part to be a director who's capable of making these movies that are digestible yet, you know, incredibly detailed. Over a long period of time, too. He's been yep. doing it for a long, long time. Yep. That's my number five. All right. So my number four, then, is The Thin Red Line, um, which is Terrence, a Terrence Malick movie. And if you know who Terrence Malick is, you know you either love or hate this dude's movie. And this was a movie that came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan. And uh, I, I believe both of them were in for Best Picture that year. Neither of them won. But uh, the, the reason to me that... I love this movie so much was similarly to eight and a half. It's one of the first times I saw a topic that is normally done very in a very straightforward manner done in a sort of artistically heightened manner. It's a world war two movie, but it, it isn't a world war two movie. Like not, not to put down saving private Ryan. It's just a totally different movie, but saving private Ryan is very much so a type of movie that's showing you the horrors of war. In this movie, while there is some of that in it, it's not nearly as realistic as Saving Private Ryan, but what it does do is it's trying to get to the heart and soul of what war is. Why do human beings participate in it? What are the philosophical, kind of ideological motivations behind it? And how does the greater picture of what a war is, two nations fighting against one another, boil down to the individual soldiers? And this is an absolutely epic movie that goes into the heads of a dozen or more characters over the runtime. Um... And it gets into their heads and you see what motivates them. What questions are they asking about the situations they're in? Um, it's, it's just a movie that's almost too epic for me to describe. And it's one that I think doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves because it is, in a lot of ways, an artsy movie. Uh, to use air quotes, an artsy movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be way too slow and quote-unquote artsy for people. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I understand that because it definitely isn't uh, the type of movie that's a crowd pleaser. It's a very ethereal, heady movie. It's a very different take on the war movie. And it was sort of shaded over by Saving Private Ryan that year because, that again, that movie had all of its emphasis put on the, the horrors of war and making it realistic. And while this movie it doesn't have that edge to it, I think it has a lot of truth to it as well. And Yeah, and for me... Because I, I had Saving Private Ryan as honorable mention. But to me, Thin Red Line, it, it shows you more, like you said, what's in their minds. Like there's a scene where they have to take the hill. Mm-hmm. And you actually are at the base of the hill looking up at the hill. And it makes you think like, okay, so they have to go up this hill. How's how's that difficult? But then they walk you through it. And it's very... Right. It's literal, but yeah, I agree. It's 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 pretty... like it's It's definitely up there on the artsy scale. Yeah, and the way it focuses on, you'll be in one character's head who's like a captain or a general, and you'll kind of, it, it's a lot of monologues. If you know Terrence Malick, he has a lot of off, off-screen dialogue spoken where you'll see a character, but you won't hear their voice. You'll hear kind of what's going on in their head narrating what's going on. And you'll get one scene where the, a captain or general is trying to figure out what to do on this hill, how to take it. And then you'll get a guy who, you know, he kills somebody for the first time, and he asks himself like, whoa, I just killed a guy. Like, that's the worst thing you can do, and I did it and nobody will ever question it. And all these things that must go through a soldier's head, it really, it's a movie that car- tries to boil down to the core of what's going on, and it's its super intense. And I think like Schindler's List, it's a tough movie to watch. Yeah. It's not as graphic, I don't think, but uh, it's just as heavy. 
Yeah. So that's always been up there for me. Yeah. And for me, my number four is Rocky. This time, not the series. The original has right. to be. Um, it, was, it was written in three days, filmed in 28. That's ridiculous. Which is crazy. <laughs> but I don't think... I think this was one of those things where everything came together in just the right way. That one, best picture too. Yeah. And it just... It's something... It's so gritty. And and they... when If you read the story, and I've read books about Rocky, and... Like, for they didn't want to cast Sylvester Stallone, and they didn't want to cast this guy, but Sylvester Stallone actually insisted on himself being casted because he wrote the film. Mm-hmm. And then also some these other casting. Some people think he directed it for some reason. He yeah. Didn't. Then there's, like, a whole bunch he of He did direct some of the this. Rocky movies, yeah. but not this one. Not this one. But, yeah, just a really gritty film, and just, I think, hands down, and I'll take anyone on full scope and debate on this, the best sports movie ever made. The best. I don't think anything else can ever really touch this. I don't care if it's football, baseball, basketball. Hoosiers, maybe. You know, you could make a... I actually like The Fighter better than Rocky, but that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, that is. But, um, <laughs> no, but... It's, I do love Rocky, though. Yeah. And How it's, can you not love it's, Rocky? It's such a, a gritty film. You see him literally. They say, you always hear the story, oh, he came from nothing. This this is the story of this guy oh, yeah. coming from nothing. You see the, the shit storm that he's living in, and then... Getting this chance. Yeah, Rocky laid the foundation for so many movies that it's not even yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I've always, I've always had that. Like every good Italian boy had a Rocky uh, poster okay. in my, my apartment okay. when I'm in college. Right. Can't pull that off anymore. I got you. <clears throat> okay, so my number three favorite movie of all time is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, 1974, the original, of course. Uh, and again, like Alien, this was a movie that just cut so deep the first time I saw it. Whole pun intended, maybe. Um, <laughs> this was a movie that I, like, out of the blue, one day I woke up and I was obsessed with. I remember seeing clips of it on the Sci-Fi channel or something. And I was just obsessed with seeking this movie out. And eventually I talked to my parents into buying me the DVD. And I wasn't, I wasn't like, overly young. I was to the age where I was, you know, I, I, I was old enough to understand an R-rated movie and fiction and all that stuff. I had the good uh, head on my shoulders. Uh, But I was, you know, I think I was 14 or 15 um, when I first saw this movie, and it really, really got to me. And it's one that I love. I've seen probably a hundred times. And to me, it's the when I talk about a horror movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the essence of it. Every detail about it from the production the way it was filmed, the, t- the film stock that was used, the acting, the, the weather during the days, the, the length of the movie, it's just perfect. It boils down to exactly what a horror movie should be, and I don't think I've ever seen a better horror movie. It just has all of the elements in it. It's scary, it's dark, it's violent, it's disturbing, it's mysterious, it's got everything going for it. It's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. Yeah, I'd have to say that's probably one of my top three horror movies if not but probably probably one i'd have to put it at right very genuine the only and, problem i think is uh, younger people will find it very tame i would imagine mm-hmm. by today's standards because it's not gory or, or by today's standards it's not gory but uh it's it's more than that it just has it's it is what a horror movie should be to me it is horror the mm-hmm. texas chainsaw massacre yeah. it's an amazing movie amazing yeah it's crazy Good, though. Crazy good. It's crazy good. And it's crazy. Number three for me is Fargo. Um, I I think I mentioned before the Coen brothers are masters of taking this 
capsule of time genre. I think this is their best time era piece in terms of what life was like in, you know, Minnesota, you know, rural Minnesota, North Dakota, that area it's at Minnesota. that moment in time. Well, it's, they, they go to... It's Minnesota, yeah, right? But it's, but it's, they just captured that and they captured it so perfectly. And, you know, Frances McDormand's character is just perfect. Her husband's character, I can never remember his name. He's perfect. You know, uh, Steve Buscemi is like, just the perfect scumbag. William H. Macy. And then him too. Like, everything it's in this film. It's a great movie. It's, yeah, it's it's just top to bottom. I, I It was either going to be this or No Country for Old Men, because I think No Country for... But I, the thing is, for me, I don't know a whole lot about, like, Texas and what Texas life was like back in that time frame. I, I know somewhat, because I have relatives in, in that area in Minnesota, so I can somewhat relate to it, but... I think this film connects for me for some reason. Yeah, um, I mean, and it's funny because The Big Lebowski was the movie they did right after Fargo. And yeah. Fargo, like you said, it's the, the Coen brothers just show their uncanny ability to take like a, a, a pretty straightforward forward crime noir style movie and blend all this comedy and all this weird stuff in it while kind of being this time capsule of what's going on. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a movie that I really enjoy as well. Yeah, I haven't seen it as much as I'd like to, but uh, I have seen it two or three times. To me, they they build you up throughout the film with like the accents and different things, and then you get to the scene where he's like jamming Steve Buscemi's character down the the wood chipper, yeah, which is That's horrifying. Like right by the end, yeah. Spoiler. Well, it's an old. It's a super nineteen ninety four. Yeah, right. Ninety two, maybe even. I think so. Yeah. Is it up there? It's on the wall. Yeah. But no, and then when you get to that moment, though, it's comedic. Oh, it's yeah. funny because it's like, oh, ha, ha, you know, and then, yeah, just yeah. a good movie. It's a great movie for sure. So my number two then of all time is Days of Confused, um, the movie I have by far seen the most number of times of any movie on the planet. I have I went through a stage from when I was 16 to like 21 or 22 that I watched this movie without exaggerating in like once every week or two. Um, not even exaggerating. This is a movie I can watch two or three times in a row and not get sick of. <laughs> um, it's just a kind of like we were just saying with with Fargo. It's a time capsule. This is a movie, although it wasn't. This film was was made in the in the nineties. Uh, um, it takes place in the seventies, and the whole movie it doesn't really have a plot. It's just about these high school kids on their first day of summer, the last day of school, and the shenanigans they get up to. Couple different groups you follow, you get the ins and outs of them. There's tons of one-liners. This movie gave us Matthew McConaughey and Ben Affleck. It was some of their first work ever, um, and it's just a movie that every time I watch it, I feel like I'm hanging out with people I've known my whole life. Hmm. And it's just hilarious. The there's the, the quotes are endless. The music is fantastic. The cars are great. The clothing and the haircuts it just puts you back in this time period, and it's it's just fantastic. It's straightforward it's entertaining i know some people think it's kind of pointless because again there isn't a plot to it but it's it's just fantastic and i love it so much yeah i've seen it i can't even tell you hundreds i need to i need to rewatch it oh, i haven't seen it we in a should while. drink and watch that movie wow. we should have beers and watch that movie 21st episode there we go All i right. think it just got made okay <laughs> so my number two is shawshank redemption 
All right. I battled on this one, if it was going to be number one or not, but I think it's a, a good number two. Um, epic story. Totally epic story. And the way I think the strongest point of this movie is how they lay out the story and how they develop the characters over time. And, again, kind of a, another revenge story because he does ultimately get his revenge. But ultimately it's about him just outsmarting people. And I think it kind of ties into a number of different genres for me because it almost has, like, this spy element to it because he's okay. trying to figure this stuff out. But, again, just an epic story. And the way it's laid out, you're just, like, blown away at the end, you know? Yeah, this is one that I think everybody has seen. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to th- I'd have to say. It's just, a, I mean, it's a great movie. It's a classic. That's one I really enjoy as well. And it's based off a Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. I know people associate Stephen King with horror, and this certainly isn't a horror story. It's got some scary stuff in it, but yeah, I mean, it's an amazing uh, classic. Yeah. A classic. Good casting, too. Big time. All right, then. So my number one movie of all time, and this has been the same since I first saw it in 2007, is my number one movie ever is There Will Be Blood. Wow. Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano. Um, I'm blown away right now. Really? I, you didn't know that? Go ahead. Sorry. I know I know you liked it. It is it's been my favorite movie since the first time I saw it and I I don't I I I don't even know how to be like to like begin to explain why I love this movie so much because it's in a lot of ways it's the perfect throwback sort of epic American type filmmaking that we saw a lot of in the 50s and the 60s that we kind of saw it die away and somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson brings it back but he brings it back in the most kind of cynical way possible because this movie by all means is a very dark look onto the kind of pitfalls of ultra well of, of being ultra wealthy well not necessarily pitfalls of it but how it impacts this one uh, particular individual and how his whole life becomes centered around making as much money as possible and how and how he's willing to cut everybody down at the knees in order to to succeed in every way, shape, or form. And it's a, it's a character study about the, the main character, Daniel Plainview, who, in uh, again, is played by Daniel Day-Lewis, who, in my estimation, this is the greatest performance in the history of cinema, if you ask me. I, I mean, that's obviously a subjective thing, but I think this performance is almost unequaled. It's so incredible, and the movie just, it's long, it's epic, it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Um, and it has a lot to say about... Again, the 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 ups and downs of uh, making a lot of money and how you choose to having how you choose to act when you have that amount of money and how you're willing to manipulate those around you and how you're willing to kind of bend to those around you as well to get what you want. It's a very again, it's a very cynical and dark movie as well, but it's beautiful. The music is totally strange. It's done by Johnny Greenwood of uh, Radiohead. He's a guitarist for Radiohead. He did the music for this movie, um, and by all means, to me, it's it's this kind of bizarre mesh of old school American epic cinema and kind of this new school cynicism that we've seen come in uh, this darker edge, this darker look at what an antihero is and or what a hero is in modern days, and kind of placing that in the twenties and thirties because that's when this movie takes place, and it's about a a guy who goes out west in the 20s to find gold and then start an oil field, uh, start uh, looking for oil to create his own dynasty, basically. 
Um, it's an amazing movie. It's totally singular to me. I've never seen a movie like it before, and I've never seen anything I like better than it. I, it's, it's my favorite movie. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the reason I'm partial to it is like I should have had that in my in my top ten. But no, no <laughs> I I agree with you one hundred percent. I think to me it, it's almost as if um, the main character Daniel he's almost like kind of a corpse in the beginning because he has a near death experience and all that, and from there uh-huh. on out he's he's like rotting. Yeah, you just see the the dedication on him, and while he 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 has a son, I don't really want to spoil how all that stuff ends up. You, you just see how it's all one step separated from where he is. Mm-hmm. And everybody in his life, whether it's his closest friend or his son, is expendable as long as he can get the wealth he's looking for. It's really sad to think about because yeah. I do think there's a lot of truth to that, unfortunately. Um, and that's just one of the reasons I like it so much because there's just so much going on in this movie that I think I look at the world around us and I see truth in it. And, I mean, the main theme of this movie, I think, is agreed. And I think There Will Be Blood kind of goes right for that. And it's, it, it, again, maybe lies in the more artsy side of movies. It's certainly a slower-paced movie, but there's a lot going on, and it's pretty unique. Yeah. And I actually, um, shortly after seeing this film, for I think it was the second time. It was the first time on, uh, at that time it was DVD, but I read a thing about um, the social network and how this is what it took to be a capitalist mm-hmm. now. And I, when I read that, I read I, I like a lot of comparative essays and things like that. And I, I thought to myself, well, in that movie, that's like what it took to be a capitalist and a total profit-driven person back then was mm-hmm. to be just this ruthless, ruthless human being. Yeah, make himself look like he's the hero, but really he's shortchanging everybody yeah it's a totally unique movie and i think um if you've never seen this movie just looking up the trailer on youtube or, or you know whatever you watch trailers on the trailer is actually very very good at giving you what the movie is like um it's just a beautiful movie it's extremely well acted and i think it's incredible yeah and my number one what is it <laughs> you're looking at me like are you ready bro <laughs> It's The Godfather Part 1. All right. Yeah, I, I knew there was going to be... I knew a mobster movie would be your number one. It was somewhere in the mix. I was like, it's either going to be Goodfellas or The Godfather. <laughs> Which I love Goodfellas. I don't think it's like that good. Oh, shots fired. But yeah, this this film to me is just so quintessential. I think this kind of ruined, the, in a way, kind of the mob genre. Because you kind of had to do this niche stuff afterwards. Because this is so essential. And... Um, just the characters, the way it's filmed, the way that it makes you feel, and it's just you know they're they're doing horrible crimes and they're basically horrible people for the most part, mm-hmm. but you're kind of like drawn into their their world, and it almost this film almost hypnotizes you in a way because you're kind of taken into this this world that, that Vito Genovese is you know living in and and kind of how they they operate but and this is part one i do you know i i don't think part two and part three really you know cut the you know it's funny you say that because a lot of people do consider part two to be a better movie i think it's debatable and i agree with you i like part one better but part three is definitely a couple steps behind yeah 
But no, I'm yeah. I mean, absolutely. What what's what amazes me about this movie is how you. I mean, this movie always when you whenever you hear of the best movies of all time, this is always on that list. Mm-hmm. No matter what, The Godfather is always on there, and it's on there for a reason. I mean, it's an incredible movie, and what you said is good because it's it something about it just hypnotizes you. But what's so weird about this movie is that it's so straightforward. And it's so subtle, and I don't think there was a there was a, a movie that showed the mob before, because I think before The Godfather, the mob was always very kind of like a heresy kind of thing. It was yeah, all, like kind of a Cagney type character. Right. It was all more over the top yeah. and more of a shoot 'em up. Um, and this is extremely, extremely kind of under the weather in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. Marlon Brando barely moves his face this whole movie, and he gives one of the greatest performances in history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a hot debate though. Part one versus part two. Yeah, I I see they I see time. the argument for two. Have you ever seen somebody did a cut of the first two movies put together chronologically? Because part two part of it, you know, is a prequel to to the whole story where you see you see Vito Corleone as a Vito, right? Yeah. Yeah, as a young man played by Robert De Niro, uh, and you see how he became who he became, and it's very fascinating. Yeah. So that's the top ten. Holy crap, that went on a lot longer than I thought. I'd say. No, but it's that's good, man. No, this is good. I, we, I, I'm glad we went into each movie, and I feel like our lists are totally... Was there any crossover outside of Lord of the Rings? I don't think lists? so. No. So mathematically speaking, Lord of the Rings is the greatest film. The greatest film ever. Of all time. Of this or any <laughs> the generation. Three, the three Lord of the Rings films are the greatest film of all time. All time. And now we'll do by the numbers quickly. Yes, let's go through them. We might as well. And I'll start. Number uh, five is Miracles from Heaven from TriStar. And it had a um, total of $7.2 million this week for a total gross of $46.5 million on a meager $13 million budget. So they're doing just fine. Lots of money. And then uh, the number four movie is God's Not Dead 2. That made $7.6 million. And a $5 million budget. Uh, so, you know, made its money back there and then a little bit. And that's two faith-based movies in the top five. Back to back. That's interesting, I wonder. And actually, I think if you look at all the movies that are out in theaters, there's a couple more movies aimed at the religious audiences. The Young Messiah is out. Risen is out. Yep. I want to Risen say... was the other one that I knew or right. had heard of. I thought there was another one. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, you know, when I look at those movies and they always have small budgets and they seem to make them back, that's a good business strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And number three is My Big Fat Greek Wedding Tube from Universal. It netted a total of $11.2 million for a total gross of $36.5 million on an $18 million budget in its second week. So yeah. I would have been shocked if this film didn't make back its budget because it's so popular. Yeah, it's popular. Cult classic. <clears throat> All right. And then number two is Zootopia. Fall. I guess it's the second week in number two. I was going to say Fallen from its its perch, but last oh. week it wasn't number one either. So Zootopia is number two. It made $19.3 million, so still making a lot of money yep. over the weekend with a total gross of $275 million on a $150 million budget. So I think we'll see a Zootopia 2 sometime. Yeah, oh, I would for imagine. Sure. And number one uh, for a second straight week is Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. It netted a total of fifty-one point three million dollars, bringing its total gross domestically, and that's uh, very important to note, 
uh, to a total of $260 million on a $250 million budget in its second week. And overseas, this film is blowing up. It's made almost $700 million, I believe. Yep. The, the one thing to note here is that its percentage of change is almost 70% lower than what it made last week. And I know a couple of people who really dislike this movie and want to be like, oh, I told you it sucked. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of it myself, but I didn't dislike it either. Um, this was not the biggest drop for actually the number one biggest drop from first week to second week was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two, which was very well critically received. And that had like a 73% drop, but with these superhero movies, a lot of these more kind of, uh, core audience aimed driven movies where there's a a pre-established audience out there for them. They tend to have a big drop because people are excited for them. So, I mean, it seems like a big amount, but like you said, this movie's make (laughs) made big bucks. bucks. Yeah. And I think we'll see it on the top five for a couple weeks. Yeah. So that's the top five by the numbers. And when we come back, we're going to review Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts. I can't even do it all. Sergeant Pepper's why? It's such a long name. Say it. Say it all. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The way you emphasize it is weird. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Band. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. Longest episode ever. Ever. I, I didn't. Their, well, their podcasts are like three hours long. Oh, I know. Three I, plus. I, I'm just happy we talked about the movies as long as I thought yeah. we were going to. I hope this will go pretty long too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think so. It's pretty late, but I don't have to work tomorrow because tomorrow's my birthday. Your birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, man. Got a, I got a really good present for you. Did you got me a present? I got you a present. Thanks, man. Custom wrapped whole it, deal. It is in the Force Awakens on Blu-ray, is it? Because oh, yeah. I just bought myself that. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's good. No, no. <laughs> I know better than to do that. But uh, our album of the week this week is The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Ethan, the floor is yours. All right. Got some deets on this here album. Again, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by The Beatles. This album was released almost 50 years ago, released on June 1st, 1967. It is the Beatles' eighth studio album and ultimately represented a change in the band's career where they would stop touring altogether and focus entirely on their studio recordings. Although the group was nervous about such a comparatively strange album finding an audience in 1976, 1967, sorry, it was a major critical and commercial success upon its release. It stayed at the number one spot of best-selling albums for 27 weeks and won the grammy for best album of the year which was the first time a rock album had ever done so 
Uh, also, the album over the decades since its release has become regarded as one of the greatest and most important in history. Its uniquely dense blend of instrumentation, psychedelica, and pop was seen by many as one of the first times rock music crossed into true art. Uh, and also, Rolling Stone magazine has called it the greatest album ever recorded, as have some other people. So, I mean, this is I, again, I picked this album because I, I, I thought it was funny that you had never heard a Beatles album before. And this is kind of like one Funny. of their... It's weird. <laughs> How could you never hear the Beatles? So what did you think about this? Being, it, It's going to be fun to talk about this because you're totally removed from the legacy of the Beatles. Right. And that's, I, I, and that's something that's very interesting to me because I feel like I'm kind of being brought in at the, the peak. You know, it's like, because uh, at least from what I've heard, this, I had heard prior to listening to this, it was like the best one of their albums. Um, I, I was almost blown away i'll put it that way i was very close to being blown away but it's just so when you consider the time it's so different because they're doing so much stuff that hadn't been done before and it's now being done i think what what actually kind of impressed on me the most was that what they were doing uh with this album kind of i i'd heard it in other bands you know, so and this was the, the obviously the grandfather, if not the great grandfather of of those bands. I, I mean, I was very impressed by this album, front to back. But I, for the time frame with the recording technology they had, that's what really impresses me. Right, and you first heard this yesterday for the first time, right? Yep. Right, and so it's compared to me, I've heard, I first heard this album over ten years ago, and it was really the album that kind of got me into the Beatles. Um, at the time, it's not my favorite Beatles album, but it's it's among my favorites. And yeah, I mean, this even removed from all of its all of the hubbub about it's the greatest album ever and its legacy, blah blah blah. Even removed from all of that, I think this is a exceptionally fun and interesting album to listen to. Every song on here has uh, catchy melodies. Every song on here is doing something a little bit different. There's some more piano-driven sort of melodies. Uh, not necessarily piano-driven. There's so many instruments on this album. There's some quieter melodies, uh, songs on here. There's some more psychedelic and crazy songs with all these weird sitars and effects going on. There's more orchestral songs with strings and everything going on in it. There's some just more straight-up rock and roll stuff going on. There's just so much packed into this thing. It's almost, it's almost too overwhelming to really capture yeah, and I said off air, it's kind of like reading a book. You know, it's not really, because you think of listening to an album, you just sit down, at least I do, I sit down and I listen to an album, and then I kind of think about it. And with this, it was it was more than just that. It was kind of like reading a book in the sense that you took something away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, every everything works. But yeah, just the the range of emotions you feel while listening to this album are just all over the place. I don't think it's so much a peaks and valleys. It's more so... Like you're journeying across a map in terms of, um, I think it's within or without you, or within you, without you. Mm-hmm. Within yeah, isn't that the, the one with like the sitar? And, yeah. Yeah, which I just, I loved. I don't know what it was about that, that song. I just loved, but nothing really negative for this album. I just think the um, the song To the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Okay. I think it just, it didn't register for me because it was just a little too far out there and too like... In your face. Well, but. and I think, again, having listened to this album a lot, the whole, I mean, the, this ultimately is a concept album, and it's yeah. one of the first 
not not I don't think it's the first album to be a concept album, but it's one of the first and one of the things it, it was capturing at least in that song in particular was kind of going to a circus and seeing this performance light out. So it's very kind of goofy with the weird instruments and the bells and whistles going on literally. Uh, so I get it though. It is, it is, I mean, it's an odd song, but I think a lot of them are kind of odd. And another thing here is all the songs are very short and they all pretty much all of them bleed into one another. Um, so again, that kind of leads to the the idea of the album is a concept front to back. And the, the album really begins and ends with those kind of book notes of the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band songs with a guitar melody and the vocals and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, th- this is an album that it's almost, it's hard to, to talk about in a critical way because it is so important in music history. So I think when you want to sit back and listen to it, if you don't like it, you don't like it. If there are people out there who find this music corny or dated or, you know, too sweet or sappy or whatever, um, that's totally fine. Um, But for me, yeah, I'm transfixed by this thing. There's so many, there's so much variety on here. And like you said, it's like going to different parts on a map. You're going to this place, to that place. You're going to this weird psychedelic place with sitars and then you're going to this farm where there's all kinds of weird animals making noises over this guitar riff and people singing and harmonizing and it ends in this weird piano ballad uh, which is actually my favorite song in the album a day in a life which is really two songs kind of put together and the way yeah. it, the way paul mccartney wrote the songs as one is kind of incredible um but i mean yeah this is a muscle if you're a music fan this is something you at least have to hear for the sake of its place in history. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I did listen to it. And I, I think my point of reference is really odd, too, because I, I don't know what they did previously. Mm-hmm. I know this is their first concept album, but really that, that term is irrelevant unless you know the band's previous work. So it's kind of, it's a unique, I think I have a pretty unique take on it, but overall I was just really impressed. Yeah, well, this was the album where they sort of went all in with the psychedelic craziness. They had never done the, you know, all the the, the orchestral pieces, no, there weren't violins or cellos or all the crazy instruments. It wasn't as, vi- none of their, al- their albums before this, there, there's kind of different parts to the Beatles' career. And up until they did the album Revolver before this and before Revolver, they did Rubber Soul. And those were kind of their first albums branching away from the the more pop rock oriented things where they were doing a lot of covers, not all covers, but some covers. And then when they did Rubber Soul, they were they were moving more towards the serious side of making rock and roll music. They didn't just want to be fun, kind of falling in love, holding hands type music. They wanted to make more serious, introspective music. And then this was kind of their third album in the line of that thinking. And this was really the all-out, like, we want to try something <laughs> completely different. And uh, it, it's it's really funny reading about the history of this because they honestly thought this thing was going to tank. They thought their fans were going to reject it, and it was an enormous success. It was. And, yeah, just, just reading the, like, reviews of this, it's it's crazy. You know, this is one of the ones I did listen to two times, and then I read the reviews and I listened to it again. Yeah. It's crazy. People are obsessed. If if we had an obsessions episode, we could do probably a whole one on this, interviewing people about their obsessions about this specific album. Yeah, I mean, it's there's been so... Even the cover of the album is iconic with all the different 
uh, people from history, kind of cardboard cutouts of them put together in, in one. Uh, it looks like kind of a class portrait type thing. Yeah. Um, and Bob Dylan's in there if you look close. Because Bob Dylan is actually the one who famously introduced the Beatles to drugs, which kind of swayed them in a direction that would change the course of <laughs> music history. Yeah. And you can definitely hear the influence on how bizarre this album is. There were some things going on in the studio. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Again, it's, it's it's just an album that's sort of hard to really criticize and be critical of because yeah. it's, there's just so much said about it prior. What my, my personal feelings towards it don't seem as important as the actual album, and it's one of the few that I, I, I feel that way towards. So if you had to rate this 1 to 10, what would you give it? <clears throat> well, I mean... Again, I, I would have to give it a 10, right? I, I mean, just just for, for, without this album, so much other music I love wouldn't exist, at least in the form it exists. But even so, like I said, this was an album when I first heard it when I was younger, I was obsessed with it. I did listen to it over and over and over and over again. I know every word on this album front to back. I can sing along every portion. I know what's coming at every point i've read all the history about it i mean i, th- I do think it's while, while maybe in terms of the beatles albums i don't think it's as perfect because some of the songs maybe seem a little bit too short um and i just think with 50 years of history behind its release certainly some of it feels dated but kind of stepping outside of that i do think this album is almost too big for me to give a rating to mm-hmm. so but that's just me really kind of being feeling like an ant under the boot of of the Beatles, who are kind of one of the behemoth bands in music history. So I'm going to have to say 10 out of 10, just because I would feel like a jerk if I didn't give it that. Hmm. But as somebody who heard it for the first time yesterday, you don't have that sort of perspective on it. So what would you give it? I'd give it a 9.2. Okay. And the point eight was that there were just certain parts of it that didn't register for me. But it's it's so difficult to grade an album that, especially that's as iconic as this, that it's it's perfect in a way, but it's not. But yeah, just certain certain pieces of it didn't. It's just wacky how much yeah. stuff is is piled onto this forty minute album. And yeah, and that's that's what blew me away is that it was forty minutes, and they just just crammed all this stuff in, into that time. It's just, it's hard to it's hard to even explain. It is. You really got to hear it. But, um, but also, most of you have probably heard all these songs in one way, yeah. shape, or form. They're all, <laughs> excuse me, they're all pretty much super famous songs. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds with a little help from my friends. I mean, these are all songs that people are pretty familiar with. Yeah. And then when I'm... Uh, when six, I'm 64? Yeah, 64. I was like, what's the age again? When I get old. I'm not going to sing on the yeah. podcast. Do it. No, I'm not going to no. do it. <laughs> But yeah, overall, I, I like this album. I think I, the thing that I do have to say taking away from this, I don't think this will obsess me with the Beatles. I think you should listen to some of their other albums before that, though. Yeah, I, I think I will. Especially since you have such easy access to them. Yeah. You should definitely hear Abbey Road. And if that doesn't do it for you, just we're done. No more podcasts. No more. That was it. No, no, Weekly no. Neurosis, box set, Last 23 episode. episodes. <laughs> 50 bucks. Um, no, uh... Listen to Abbey Road. I mean, my personal favorite Beatles album is Revolver, but I would say listen to Abbey Road and listen to A Hard Day's Night, one of their earlier albums. Like, yeah. listen to those two. And if those don't get you interested in their other albums, 
you know, whatever. At least you gave them a shot. Yeah, that's true. That's how I usually feel about a band. Yes, sir. And due to time constraints, why don't we just bump straight to obsessions? Yeah, that works. That's fine. Yeah. What are you obsessed with? Um, let me frantically switch back. Okay. Uh. uh well, uh, you know, I've been talking about the Star Wars a whole lot. Been reading comics. I just bought the new movie today on Blu-ray. I'm into that, of course. But uh, in you know, to keep it different from week to week, we just got some new furniture for our living room, which is super exciting. We got a new entertainment center where our TV's on top of that's got like a built-in electric fireplace, and we got a whole new shelf for our movies because we were literally out of sh- shelf space for our movies because we have so many of them. So we bought this big old thing that holds like 900 Blu-rays, and it's like three quarters of the way full already with what we, wow. <laughs> what we have. But uh, we got all that stuff set up in the last week or so, and it's it makes our living room look so much nicer. And it's I walk in there, and I'm like, this is the best. Furniture is like one of those funny things. It's yeah. like people go, oh, it's overrated, but you know. But it, like when you get new furniture, it's just the best. Yeah, we got this new furniture. And it's all. It's like all. There's not a scratch on it. It just makes you feel good. Yeah, I wish I lived closer to an IKEA. That makes furniture buying easy. I've never been in an IKEA. Don't look at me like that. You've never heard a Beatles album before yesterday. No, I was saying like it's kind of. I wasn't giving you that look. I was kind of giving you the like, <laughs> eh. No, I don't need to go out of my way. Thing to go to an IKEA. Hmm, okay. I just find I just think it. Th- I like the engineering aspect of it. Aren't their instructions like confusing? Isn't that there? No, it's like literal. It's as literal as it can be because they don't use language. It's just pictures. It's just pictures. So they have to be really, really literal. I've always found it really easy. Because I, I know some people find it not easy. Anyways, new furniture obsessions. <laughs> what about you? What about you? <laughs> Well, up to this point, I was obsessed with getting this whole thing because I got the system to work with one mic. It's real. It's real. It's so weird. And now it's just a normal thing we're going to be doing. Yeah, it's going to be old hat soon. Maybe we'll have to tweak some of this stuff. Yet, yeah. But... And just, just in general, getting it all here and hooked up. And that was that was really was what I was obsessed about. I just feel so cool with this microphone. Yeah. Maybe if I like get closer, right what does it sound different? Yes, you sound a little. You sound like you're actually close to the mic. NPR, like welcome. Because kind of the depth of your voice is usually there's a little distance involved. So but when you get right. really close, it's really like. And you have headphones on when we're recording. Yeah. I don't. We'll have a splitter next. We'll, time. we'll get that set up. For sure, but there is. I just put. I did put a picture before of our new setup. Again, still the desk is a bit messy, but I'm sure eventually we'll. We'll get it figured out. We'll get it figured out. We'll get these posters up. We got two posters sitting here. That's what this sound is. Get hit them together. There posters. You go. <laughs> get... Posters. We gotta get frames for those. Hang those puppies up. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be nice down here. I want to get a shelf to put some paraphernalia in. Whoa. Some like you know. Not bad. That's a bad. That was a bad. <laughs> that was a terrible word. Like little figurines and stuff like that. I just got a, but April got me, okay, she's terrible. She gives me my birthday presents like a week before my birthday. Cause she's like, I just bought you stuff. Do you want it? And I'm, of course I say yes. Like what's the point of waiting? When no, you're and that's adult, what I, though. that's my logic. Yeah. Just give it to me. Who cares? But uh, she got me a bunch of, again, Star Wars. She got me four little Star Wars like ships that stand in these little like black plastic stands. But the ships themselves are like this nice. I don't know if they're like heavy plastic or some sort of like die cast metal, but there's the old school X-Wing, 
There's the new X-Wing from the new movie, the Resistance X-Wings. They have the Millennium Falcon, and then they have a TIE Fighter. And I have them strewn about my desk at home. And it's... I could bring those. Yeah. That's how I was thinking. Get a shelf in the corner. Yeah. For Just sure. Make it, make it comfy in here, you I know? I mean, it's already pretty comfy, right? Yeah. It's kind of a creepy room, but it's comfy. Yeah. It's a little murdery. This side of the room's creepy. It's a little murdery. This side of the room's <laughs> nice. There's like a random... Uh, Treadmill. Treadmill. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the only this little fit. No, but it's a good room. Yeah, I like it. That was that was my obsession though. Glad the audio worked out. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah. That's why we're doing this. It is for, for you, you folks. You folks out there listening, so we you, appreciate it, so each can, and every one of you. So we sound. I I mean I just it's I, I I imagine it just sounds totally different, right? Yeah, it's a little more. I think real. I think this is because I think before we were almost straining to get, like I said before, you're straining yourself to get closer to the mic to make sure you sound quite. And this is like this is how I'm comfortable sitting. Right. If I was to have a cross table conversation with you, I'd probably sit like this. We would sit at o- o- opposite ends of a long table. Yeah. No. But <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But no, it's just, I think it's just like a comfort level. No, yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of what I like about it. That you know, I have easy access to my laptop. You know, we can we have the microphones close enough to our faces that we're not hopefully not picking up too much extra stuff going on in the room. And yeah, just that we're capturing the conversation, which is what this is. Yeah, amazing. It's amazing, man. We made it, and we just threw this episode together, and it ended up being our longest one. Yeah, funny how that works, right? No, but this has been fun. This is Obsessions Volume 2. Many, many more to come. Yes, absolutely. I think on the horizon, then, we have a 21st episode coming up. What did we... Wasn't it Dazed and Confused? What? Or what did we say we were going to do? Yeah, Dazed and Confused. That's what you said. Yeah. 21st episode. Didn't we figure we're going to be recording an episode May 4th, and then we'll do a Star Wars obsession? Ooh. Because I'm, you know... Again, Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about obsessions here today. <laughs> we could do that, too. It's all sorts of... We can do whatever we want. Yeah, but we got... Um, there's newer movies coming out, too, that we should probably go check out. So that's We didn't cool. have the usual usual section with, like, the... What's coming out. No, yeah, well... Man, our conversation about our top tens went on for, like, four hours. I hope there's some new. There's some new stuff coming. There's some good stuff coming out. There is, for sure. I know um, Hardcore Henry is right on the horizon. Yep. We, I want, I, honestly, I want to see that because that's a little different. Yeah, it looks like a pretty entertaining little movie. Non-stop, yeah. hopefully. Over, pretend, potentially overwhelming. If there's a 20-minute 20, a 20 segment of where there's nothing going on, game over. Down down three points at that point for me. Like 20 minutes of... Just that him, like, who, walking around. Who? He's going to buy cigarettes. Going to... <laughs> To, I just assume he buys cigarettes. He's sitting in his house he's watching going to buy a Curious a Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> On Blu-ray. On Blu-ray. Eating so chips. Can... <laughs> All right. Okay, that's Well, enough. it's been fun, everybody. This is Obsessions Volume 2. I am Nate. And I am Ethan. And we are Weekly Neurosis. Everyone, please take care.